Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. We already passed out Bibles, so you guys are ready to go, aren't you? Okay. Page 818, if we handed you the hardback, everybody else, Matthew 21. Matthew 21. Some people have been on a rampage for years trying to convince you that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Today, today I am on a rampage, and I am going to seek to convince you that the triumphal entry is a Christmas story. Are you ready? Here we go. Even if I fail, hopefully you know the story better and you love Jesus more, right? That is the objective. Okay. Did anybody not get sermon notes in a bulletin who would like them? Put a hand up and we're gonna bring those to you right now to make sure your pen is a-flying and you are retaining as much uh, of this as you can, okay? So, I want you to have notes if you want them. Okay. First thing, where are my introverts at? Throw a hand up. Just one is fine, because I know that's all you're gonna do. Uh, my hand is up too. I'm one of them. So first thing I'm gonna do is sin against the introverts. Turn around, introduce yourself to the person behind you, and we're having a discussion question. Are you ready? Here's what you're gonna talk about. You're gonna share all of your political opinions. No? Was that a bad idea? That was a bad idea? Okay. Here's the actual discussion question. What happened? That was such a great church. They talked about politics. It didn't go well. Um, Here's the discussion question. This sounds intense, and it is, but it's important for our text. If there was a coup, if the United States was taken over by a man who declared himself king, what would be some of your initial questions? What were some of the first things running through your mind if we were overthrown in a military coup? Talk with your new friend about what your first questions and thoughts would be. Go ahead. I'll give you 90 seconds. All right, so I want to hear from a few different people. First thing I want to do 
is I'm gonna snipe my friend Jeremy. He's an introvert too, and he thinks he's getting away with something because he's in the sound booth. Jeremy, what would be one of your first thoughts if we had a dictator who declared himself king? What would be one of the first things you thought of? Okay, all right. No, that's all right. Okay, throw a hand up. Who wants to share what you guys talked about? Some of your first thoughts if there's an overthrow. Hope they keep Social Security going. <laughs> or if you're 31 years old, I hope they get rid of Social Security. <laughs> yeah. They, they, Zig Ziglar always said, the value of a minute is which side of the bathroom door you're on. <laughs> All right, what else? Who, who else would like to share? Ooh, is there religious freedom? Yeah, right? Because we're talking dictatorship. We'd have to ask ourselves questions like, is there religious freedom still, and what kind? Yeah, Any, anything other questions? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Good guy or bad guy? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Maleficent was named on purpose, right? <laughs> Benevolent or malevolent? Absolutely. What else are we going to be asking ourselves? Yeah, how did this happen? Yeah, yeah. Good question. Yeah, well, the first question would be, is it Jesus? <laughs> if it's Jesus, we're good. <laughs> yeah, I think we would know, absolutely. Yeah, if it's Jesus and he's, and he's not happy with you, the basement it will not be enough, right? Okay. Okay, so our text today, the triumphal entry of Jesus. If you are new to church, I want to give you a little background on what's going on here, because this text is rich with cultural meaning for first century Jews, and for 21st century, probably entirely or mostly Gentiles like us, non-Jews, we're going to struggle. So I'm going to say this very quick and dirty, and I want to encourage you to go study during the week if, if this piques your curiosity. The long and short of it is that in the ancient world, when someone claimed to be king and they rode into town, they usually symbolized what their campaign promises were. We all know what campaign promises are, right? They'd ride on, in on a horse saying, I will be a conquering king, which is exactly what the people want to hear if they are currently being oppressed by some other foreign power. He's making a promise, hey, I'm going to whoop the bad guys. Or if he was promising a reign of peace, which there are other times where the people would want to hear that, right? He would ride in on a donkey. What did Jesus just do in our story, in our text? He rode in on a donkey. Okay, so there's a specific statement that's being made here about his riding in on a donkey. And if you've got the sermon notes in front of you, you already know, Zechariah 9, 9 said that Messiah was going to do this. Jesus, growing up, guys, remember, if you, if you don't have a background in church, Jesus was 12, 13 years old, 12 something, when he gets lost and he's left at the temple accidentally by his parents, and they are amazed at his knowledge of the word of God. Because the New Testament said, well, actually, Isaiah says they will call him the word of God. Like, that's his name, that's his title. The, but you didn't know the Bible had hands and feet, did you? His name is Jesus. So you, you were shocked that he knows his Bible because it's him. Okay, so he knows the word in and out by, by the time he's 12 years old, 
and the learned are amazed by him, and he would know Zechariah 9.9, and he would know that, frankly, this is blasphemous if he's not the Messiah. Are you with me so far? I am a part of a religion where in our holy text, it says if you come in to Jerusalem on a donkey and everybody's praising, saying, Hosanna, the son of David, calling you the son of David, the one who's in the line of David, in the bloodline of David, going to sit on the throne of David, all of this is messianic. All of this is saying, I'm the guy. One theologian I read this week said, Jesus wasn't crucified when Pilate washed his hands. He wasn't crucified when the religious elite shouted, crucify him. He wasn't crucified when he got into it with the Pharisees two days before that. He was as good as crucified the minute he got on that donkey. Everybody knows what he is saying. Okay? So that's to bring us up to speed because we're 21st century types, right? So we're up to speed now. Here's the actual sermon. First bullet point, here are your blanks. Jesus came with boldness and clarity, are you ready, to get your attention. Jesus came with boldness and clarity to get your attention. The word Advent means arrival. And we celebrate Advent looking back at the first Advent, the first coming of Jesus, and celebrating, anticipating the second Advent coming of Jesus. It's a twofer. The text today is an advent of Jesus, probably the most important one. During his teaching ministry, when people tried to crown him king, he ran away. When people tried to call him demons, would call him the son of God, and he would silence them. People would say, you're the Messiah. Yeah, 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 but don't tell anybody. Because he knows the minute that this declaration about himself is public, he's dead. And is that his plan, to die? Yeah, it is. Just not yet. Just not yet. He had three, three and a half years of teaching that he wanted to give to his people about this new covenant, this new relationship between God and man. And then all of a sudden, he dies on a cross and is raised to new life, commissions his people, sends his Holy Spirit so that we can do something with what he taught us. The scriptures say, and this is, this is hilarious coming from Peter, saying, our eyes were blinded. We didn't really fully realize all of what he taught until after When the Holy Spirit came, he was gone. He ascended into heaven. He gave us the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, our eyes were spiritually opened to all that he had said for three and a half years. It all made sense now. He was putting information into them. He knew they would not fully understand until the Spirit came. And you and I try to read the Bible without the Holy Spirit, but that's a second sermon. Okay. All right, so there's a lot going on in this text. He's bold, he is clear. He is bold, he is clear. And that boldness and that clarity does not sit in the first century and just languish there. It does something big for 2022. For you, for me. What is that? I'm glad you asked. Jesus is still bold about who he is. He is still clear about who he is. He is still clear. I explained the context to you just a moment ago. He still has claimed to be the Messiah of the Jewish people. He has still claimed to be God. And we still have to do something with that claim. Is he crazy? Is he a liar? Is it true? 
What do we do with that? When Gabriel, my youngest, no, sorry, my second, was about 18 months old, eh, maybe two, he had realized, because kids are just repeating what, heaven help us, what we say and do, right? He realized that when he wasn't doing good listening, we would take him and we would grab his face gently and good eye to eye. Hey, Gabriel, it's, you know, it's time to you know, stop hitting. It's time, whatever the command was, it's time to eat breakfast, whatever it is, we'd grab his face and gently, hey, Gabriel, because he's just in his own little world, as you guys have taught Gabriel before you know. He has, his own, he has planet Gabriel, where there are no people, just Legos, and he's happy. Um, and Gabriel was, at, it was two years old, and he was asking me for something. And I was distracted, but he was sitting on my lap. He was right there, and he goes, Daddy. <laughs> Turns my face until we are nose to nose. And he always has this smile on his face when he's asking for something. He just like, there's something in his soul that believes I'm going to say yes. And I think it was something basic, like asking for a banana or something. He just grabbed my face and turned. <laughs> Daddy, can I have a banana? You know, or whatever it was. He saw from my behavior, this is what you do to get somebody's attention. Eye to eye probably means I'm getting heard. What do first century Jews need if God is going to say something to them, something very specific like, here's the Messiah? What do first century Jews need? According to Zechariah, they need him to ride on a colt into the city People praising, shouting, praise God to the son of David. Like, this is what they need. Do you think God has stopped communicating who he is? Because there are, there are still followers of Christ 2,000 years later, so apparently he's still communicating to us. Apparently he's still reaching out. Apparently the hound of heaven is still sniffing us out and going, hey, I, I love you, I love you, I love you, I died for you. He is still really bold. He is still really clear, and he has to be clear about who he is because it's who he is. A recognition, a joyful accepting of who Jesus is is indicative that we have a changed heart. If my heart's not changed, I'm never gonna embrace who Jesus is. So those of you taking notes, and I hope it's a lot of you. Here's your next step. Here's your call to action related to the boldness and clarity of Christ. Thank God this Christmas. Thank God this Christmas. He has been so bold and so clear with revealing himself to you to, to do something that will get him tortured and killed. But he has been so bold and so clear in proclaiming I've shared this before, a UN Gelion, from which we get the word evangelism, was a declaration in the Roman world usually of just one of two things, a military victory or the birth of Caesar's son. Sorry, ladies. It was pretty patriarchal. Caesar had a son or a great military victory, also usually Caesar's military victory. And then... The angels come to the shepherds that night with a euangelion, and what do they declare? 
the Son of the Most High is here, and this is a great military victory. You know, it was an army that was singing, right? Don't make that cute. They weren't harps. They were swords. It was the army of God, and God didn't need the army. He had a baby. Jesus hangs on the cross, and he can call that army and says, I'm not calling them. Is he sovereign or is he sovereign? He does not need that army. Thank God this Christmas. Three, three ways I, I want to encourage you to thank God for his boldness and his clarity in getting your attention. Um, tell him. Right? Don't overthink it. Tell God that you're thankful he got your attention. Isn't that maybe one of the most primal and beautiful things for the Christian to say every morning? God, thank you for saving me. I woke up today in this place called not hell. Not just I woke up. I've had a lot of time the last seven months to contemplate my mortality. Giving of the Son was what? It was the love of the Father toward the world. It was Christmas. And then we turn around and give somebody else a gift. To make ourselves feel better? I hope not. Because it'll make them happy? I hope not. You see all of these idols waiting there, lingering, these secondary reasons that could look or sound really good, but they're not the real reason we give gifts at Christmas? I'm giving you this because this is an image of the Father giving us the Son. Had a cool conversation with my daughter this week. We're uh, in the car on the way to school. We've got Mix 96 on. Go ahead and judge me. And we're listening. He knows if you are sleeping. He knows if you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. Right? And my daughter, I'm so proud of her, She's not just soaking in culture, she's learning to critique it. And she goes, that's really creepy and broken that your motivation for Christmas is supposed to be that someone's watching you. And I said, yeah, baby, you know what's what's awful is really it's, I said, it's it's called moralism in philosophy where we just kind of push and pull and manipulate people to get the result out of their behavior but we don't care about the heart. So we say things like, if you're good, Santa will bring you something, but if you're not, he'll bring you lumps of coal, right? Somebody just found a way to manipulate their child for the month of December. That's really all that happened here. Poor Santa's getting thrown under the bus. He probably didn't come up with that. And I said, baby, that's the anti-gospel. The anti-gospel is be good so you get stuff. If you're bad, you'll get coal. The gospel is that we all deserved coal and we received the Son of God. That's the gospel, the opposite of the song. Give a gift and tell the person receiving it why you're giving it the real gospel. If we really did Christmas right, we would all go to the store and think deeply about the perfect gift for the person we were most upset at, the person who had wronged us the most, the person who cut us deep. And we'd say, what's the perfect gift for them? Because that's what God did. His people had utterly betrayed him. We walked away and we worshiped at every Asherah pole and under Every green tree on every high hill. You guys know the language of the Old Testament if you grew up in church. We had perverted ourselves spiritually in every possible way and God sent his son. 
another way you can thank God this Christmas. Tell somebody about Jesus. Tell somebody about Jesus. You're blessing them. You're blessing God. You'll receive blessing yourself. There is nobody but Satan who gets kicked in the face when you tell somebody about Jesus. Tell somebody about Jesus. Second, for those of you taking notes, Christians, are you shouting God's praises or are you silent? Look at verse 9. Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were the frozen chosen. They had their hands in their pockets and they sang blandly. No? Did I read it wrong? (laughs) They were shouting. Praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Name means the authority. He comes with the authority of God himself. Again, this is really clear. Praise God in highest heaven. Christian, praising or silent? Which one are you? Which one am I? The choice was there 2,000 years ago. The choice is there today. Praising or silent? C.S. Lewis talked about a good meal or a man who meets a lovely woman and they go on a first date and it goes really well. And he would say, could you ever shut that man up? It's not even possible. We so naturally, the way that joy is experienced, he says, is that it manifests itself when we say it out loud. This is why social media gets turned into a highlight reel. We can't, our joy is not complete until we've shared it. We don't put our sorrows on, on Facebook usually. And it, it deceives everybody else into thinking that our life is awesome, that we don't have the same struggles. You, you cannot fall in love and tell no one. You cannot go to P.F. Chang's, have the creme brulee, and tell no one. What? Just theoretically. Just theoretically speaking. Here's your next step if you love Jesus. Bring a friend to candlelight service to hear about Jesus. The 21st and the 24th, identical services. And some of you guys are going to be headed out of town or you might be hosting family on the night of the 24th. Bring a friend to a candlelight service to hear about Jesus. That's a way to shout. Hey, I may not be comfortable sharing a whole lot with you other than I know Jesus saved me and washed away my sins. But why don't you, why don't you come to a candlelight service with me? It's gonna be nice. They're gonna talk about Jesus. They're gonna sing some Christmas carols. I want to remind you, Christians, in case you have never heard or you, it's been a while. According to George Barna, 73% of the United States says they would come to a Christmas-related service if a friend asked them. Does that, I mean, we hear all kinds of antichrist stuff going on in the evening news. This is what's going on in culture. That's what's going on. This Because if it bleeds, it leads. But what's actually going on in culture? What's actually going on is that 73% of America will come to a Christmas-related service if a friend asks them. That's what's actually going on. Almost three out of four would say yes. Foundation, bring a friend. Let's do this. Let's, let's make this room uncomfortably full for the 21st and the 24th. 
And I'll tell people about Jesus. You don't have to, you just bring them. Bribe them with leather bees afterwards. Do something. I'll tell them about Jesus. All right. Third, Jesus' arrival made people ask, who is this? There's your blank. Jesus' arrival made people ask, who is this? Look at verse 10. Uh, A few people in the city were in an uproar. You guys have it in front of you. Did I read it right? A few people in the media got upset. Did I read it right? The entire city. Because again, we already explained how big of a claim this is. This is gargantuan, and everyone gets it. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. Those of you who grew up in church, is this the first time people have been asking themselves who Jesus is? I've got a strong no from Wren. Some yeses, some noes, some I'm not sures. I've got a no right here. John 4. Come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? The woman at the well was asking. She was wondering. Twelve apostles in a boat. They think they're about to drown because Jesus is asleep. Lord, get up. Don't you care that we're about to drown? Peace, be still. The waves and wind obey him immediately. And they say, who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him? They've been wondering at least for three and a half years, who is he? His knowledge of my heart and things that I didn't tell him, I wonder if this is God. He tells water what to do, and it obeys. These are fishermen. They know how to drown. They know how not to drown. Their relationship with water was established a long time ago. And then along comes a guy with a different relationship with water. Who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him? And then he rides on a donkey's colt into Jerusalem, allowing them to say, Hosanna to the son of David. He doesn't silence them. He doesn't stop them. Guys, if you know your Bible, has Jesus silenced people before? Has he told people to knock it off before? He's not silencing them this time. This is crazy. He is allowing them to heap praise on him that is only for God. Isaiah 9, the passage we did uh, a couple weeks ago, all of those titles, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, okay, those titles are for God. That text, whether we realized it 2,800 years ago or not, was saying that Messiah would be deity. He would not be just a really nice human being. He would be God himself. And then this guy This Messiah comes along who knows everything I've ever done. He tells the water to knock it off, and it knocks it off. And then he rides into Jerusalem and says, I'm here to bring peace, not war. Brothers and sisters, he will ride into Jerusalem one day on a horse. What we're excited about is that he hasn't done it yet. 
He came the first time on a donkey to offer peace to rebels like you and like me. Romans 5.1. Write that in your margins, Romans 5.1, if you're taking notes. And where Paul is going to extrapolate about the offer of peace that Jesus came. His first coming is offering peace to rebels. Jesus' arrival makes people ask, who is this? And I want to argue to you that when we celebrate Advent every year, when we celebrate Lent and we point people toward Good Friday and Easter, if we celebrate right and if the Christian life is filled with the Holy Spirit and good works that manifest from knowing his word and being accountable to the family and encouraged by the family, taught by the family, we are gonna live lives and we are gonna proclaim a message that forces Citrus Heights to ask, who is he? And let me make it dark, we have failed when they are not yet asking. And I don't mean we like foundation. There are lots of people who love Jesus in our city. There are lots of churches gathered right now. And we together have a collective calling for this city to make people ask, who is he? Not who am I? Not just, oh, those people are nice. If, if the people of that church are nice, that's only good in as much as they are representing the Savior who, who set them apart and made them holy, Right? We're not drawing attention to ourselves. We're not drawing attention to programs. We're not drawing attention to awesome things. Look at this awesome thing I did. Pat myself on the back. No, we proclaim Jesus. We want to show a miraculous storm calmed down to anybody who will watch and pay attention. We want to manifest ministry where people feel like God just read their mail. How, how could, wait, God really knows me? And he's not rejecting me and sending me away. He knows me and still loves me. That's the Christ that we are called to present. Back to my illustration about uh, somebody running for president. So, heaven help us, it's like a two-year-long thing now in America. Um, but here in the U.S., somebody announces that they're running for president, and we knew it already because they were giving speeches and they sold their book and they tweeted something about somebody. So we kind of knew it was coming most of the time. But at least in theory, they go around talking with reporters, giving you know, uh, interviews, they do stump speeches, they go around to the different states, especially the purple states, and they say, what? Their platform. These are the things that I'm about. These are the things I promise to fix. This is my worldview. This is how I see the world. If you see it the same way as me, vote for me. And it's this big, long thing that culminates in, an, and there's an election night. We all fight each other viciously because slandering people on Twitter makes everybody feel better. And then that person is inaugurated a few weeks later in January. Okay. We know the process. And this process, at the beginning, is answering a question. The question is, who is this? Who is this? Do they think the same thing that I think about Social Security? Do they think the same thing I think about China? Do they think the same thing I think? It is all, who is this? Who is this? 
Who is this? We used to ask questions like, does this person have character? I think that one's flown out the window. But we are asking, who is this? What are they like? Are they a family person? Are they far left? Are they far right? Or do they have business acumen? Do, what's, what do they think? Do they think the government's the solution or the problem? What do they think we should be doing with Putin? Who is this? Who is this? Who is this? Because when somebody comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, that forces everybody to kind of make up their mind, doesn't it? If you are a Jew living in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, and anybody, doesn't matter who it is, hops on a horse or a donkey and rides into Jerusalem, you have to make up your mind. This guy's about to start a war with Rome, as far as you know, particularly if he's on a horse. But even on a donkey, this guy is throwing the gauntlet down. Who is he? And that's why the whole city's in an uproar and they ask, who is he? Who has the cojones to declare himself king while Rome's armies are this big? That's actually the question. Are you kidding me? We haven't heard any weakness from Rome. We didn't hear that Caesar died and the, the next guy didn't step. We haven't heard any of that. Who is this guy think he is riding into Jerusalem on any form of animal? Who is he? Who is he? I need to know because I need to know which side I'm going to get on. That's why I need to ask this. It's the most primal question when somebody shows up and says, I'm God. I need to figure out real quick if I think he's crazy. Tell my family to pay no attention. Here's the next step I want to challenge you to if you have not done it. Become a Christian. See how I just said it like it's a choice that's up to you? It's because it is. It is. Follow Jesus for the first time. Worship him as God for the first time. He has declared boldly, courageously, carefully, explicitly who he is. He is still telling us who he is. Become a Christian you are not gonna get a better campaign promise than this. Hey, you're floating face down in the water, dead. You've been dead for a long time. I have the authority, power, and love to walk up and say, Lazarus, come out. Where are you going to get a campaign promise like that? Buddha never made a promise like that. I'll die for you. No, no. Joseph Smith never said anything like that. There are no world leaders, religious leaders that ever claimed deity, that they would die for you, that they had the power of resurrection, that they would gift to unworthy rebels like us. If you have investigated Jesus, even for five minutes, you've already seen the best promises offered anywhere. So it is time to get excited. It's time. No more hemming and hawing, no more dilly-dally, not another worthless fake Christmas that's only a, a millimeter deep. Toss out your fake Christmases and worship him wholeheartedly with everything you've got, maybe for the very first time. You're not going to get better promises than this. It's not going to happen. They don't exist. Who is this? The commander of wind and waves. Who is this? The one who knows me and still loves me. Are you kidding? 
Who is this? The one who silenced the religious elite that put huge burdens onto my shoulders but won't lift a pinky to help. He silences them. I thought Jesus was the religious jerk. No, he's not. He's silencing them and then dying for me. Who is this? The uncreated one. Who is this? The one who planned before we messed up in the garden. He planned the cross. That's who he is. Who is this? The one who's going to live 33 years without sinning. Are you kidding me? Who is this? The one who would come into the world through a virgin so that he would not be a son of Adam. I'm in, I'm in Romans 4 and 5 right now. He is not a son of Adam. He is only a son of God. He does not inherit man's tendency to rebel against God. He does not have what, what Paul calls the flesh. He doesn't have it. Who is this? The one who told death to knock it off and walked out of his own grave. Who is this? The one who didn't suggest to his people, he commissioned and command, go make disciples of all nations. Who is this? The one who floats up into heaven in case we were wondering still if he was God. Who is this? The one who sent his Holy Spirit into his church and said, you'll do greater things than what you've already seen. It is time to worship. The more you look at Jesus, all you can do is rage against him or worship him. One of those goes really poorly and one goes really well. It's time to worship. It's time to worship. So if this Christmas or at any point in, in this year, if you have decided for the very first time, I'm worshiping Jesus now, I'm going to be a Christian now, the first step of obedience in the Christian life is to get baptized. And so for you, I want you to come talk to me after the service, Okay. We're going to schedule a baptism, and you're going to proclaim. It's just this symbol. We lower you into the water. We let you come out, too. It's great. And it is this symbol. My old self is died, is buried with Christ. My new self now lives. It is a symbol, and it is the first evangelistic statement. You don't have to know the right religious words. You don't have to speak in public. You get dunked under the water and come out of the water, and it is a declaration to friends and family, my old self is dead. I'm with Jesus now. I'm with Jesus now. So I want you to come talk to me after the service. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to do some announcements. Did I convince you yet that Matthew 21 is a Christmas text? Mm. Okay. It's an Advent text at minimum. Advent, arrival, okay? Lord Jesus, um, I pray that your Holy Spirit was teaching and is teaching us um, from this powerful reality God, thank you so much that you were on a donkey the first time. Thank you that you came to bring mercy. Or Christmas just, Christmas couldn't be so joy-filled or lighthearted if you hadn't made it that way. If you would have brought justice the first time, I, I guess we wouldn't be here. Thank you, God, for the joy of the season. But I do beg you, Lord, that every saint in this room, that we will turn around as a response to your love and joy, that we will share that love and joy with anybody who will listen. Do not allow us, God, to be uh, greedy, to take something beautiful, to receive it, and to keep it to ourselves. God, protect us from that. Make foundation a church where we go tell people about Jesus. Please help us, God, because there are so many spiritual and cultural barriers that try to talk us out of boldness, and we need your help.
We need your help, Lord. Jesus, for those who have put their faith in Jesus, into you for the very first time, I thank you and I praise you for the miracle of salvation. And I ask for your Spirit's help, God, as we, uh, the flock of God, try to work really hard to shepherd these baby sheep who were just born, who were just spiritually born. Strengthen us, God, with wisdom and love that we would care for baby sheep because we know what wolves are like. We've been bit before. Help us to disciple, help us to guide, help us to encourage and to teach. God, give us an incredible evangelistic ministry, God, because we love the lost in our families. We love the lost on our street. We love the lost in our classrooms. We love the lost in the cubicle next to us. In the saving name of Jesus, we pray. And Foundation said,